Amen. Well, welcome to True North 2019 edition. That is super crazy. This is the first True North service of the new year. Just think about that. How much pressure is that on me? Wow. Kicking off the year. Thank you, Pastor Rod, for the privilege. I think we're going to do a great job. Hey, we got a lot of exciting things planned for True North this year, a lot of goals, a lot of aspirations, a lot of things that we're praying for as a True North staff. Hey, and one of the first things that we're doing to kick off 2019 this coming weekend is Revival Winter Edition. Guys, I'm telling you, if you are not signed up for this, it is a mistake. Right, you need to sign up. You needed to sign up yesterday. Okay, that we still have spots. We still have availability. You can still go online. Hey, plug, plug, plug. Do it. Okay, sign up for Revival Winter Edition. We've got some great things planned. Pastor Rod is going to be bringing the fire preaching this coming weekend. We've got some great things in store in terms of surprises. Okay, awesome things, fun things. And so, if you are not signed up, please, I beg you, sign up. There's no excuses this weekend. Revival Winter Edition kicking off. 2019. Speaking of the new year, I think one of the things that comes naturally with the new year is this idea, or I guess this kind of cultural notion, if you will, of making New Year's resolutions or making New Year's goals, right? We want to better ourselves. We want to have a better lifestyle. We want to make more money. Or, you know, if you guys don't have a job, you want to get a job. You want to have better grades. You want to have a better relationship with your siblings. Perhaps you want to ask that girl out that you've been too scared to do, right? You just make all of these goals and you're like, ah, this year is the year. 2019 is the year that I, by full send, I say, forget all of it. I risk it all and I'm going to do it in 2019, because in 2018, I messed up. 2018, I, I, I dropped the ball. I didn't do necessarily what I wanted to do. And so 2019 is, is the year. I think what's funny in thinking about that is when I, in my you know, leisure, I guess, my free time, when I'm scrolling on Facebook, which I guess none of you do these days, right? Scrolling on Facebook. But I know some of you are closet Facebook users, so don't pretend that you don't use Facebook. So that when we're scrolling on Facebook, you, you come across these like pop-up blogs, I guess, or, or articles, and they're always titled, right? They're like, what you need to know about X, Y, and Z, right? What you need to know about making money in 2019, right? Three keys to a successful relationship, right? Your relationship right now, clearly it's in shambles. You need help. There's no other help than this sudden blog that pops up on Facebook, which, by the way, you guys know, it's like you think something, you think about something, and all of a sudden there's an ad on Facebook that pops up. It's ridiculous. The government's listening to us. Anyway, so <laughs> Facebook, right, there's these, these articles, these things, and they just claim that you, you have some sort of problem, that there's something in your life that is missing, right? And, and it's to the point where you really, maybe you know what the problem is, but you have not a clue. You're like, you, you don't know how to fix it. You, you clearly, I think that what is offensive about this, right? Just think about the underlying principle, the underlying assumption to these articles, right? That they are assuming that whoever stumbles upon them is honestly dumb. They're, they're assuming that you guys are dumb because you can't fix whatever problem it is. So they have to give you these three or seven or 10 or eight or one or two or however many number, just plug the number in these three keys to success. And then you will be a multimillionaire in the next six months, or you will have, you know, you will be able to purchase a home without putting less than 20% down on your mortgage, which doesn't mean anything to you guys, but there's all these different things that they say, Hey, this is what you need to know. And I have the answer. Clearly you don't possess 
the mental capabilities to get to this on your own, so I'm going to tell you what it is, right? So I think, anyways, that's just, that's a rant from me, I, it, whatever. So there's these, these things, and I think realistically, it, it, probably, Paul writes a, a, a quote-unquote blog post, if you will, to the church of Philippi. That's the book we're in today, the, the, the book of Philippians. He writes a blog post, and he says, hey, you know, he enters into this world, and he says, hey, you guys have some sort of problem and I have a solution. He gives a, a one solution, not necessarily a solution or a resolution, but he says, hey, there is a goal that you need to be striving after, Church of Philippi, Christians, in, you know, in whatever year it was that this was written in 2019, it, whatever, it's timeless. He says that there is a goal, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, and that is something that you claim for your life, this is a goal that you should be striving after. Right? And not only should you be striving after it, you should be growing in it. You should be able to, to chronologue all the, of the growth that you've seen in your life. And yes, there's going to be failures, and you're not always going to see perhaps growth in measurable ways that you would want to. But Paul says there is a goal none to, nonetheless. So I think if, you, if you'll take notice of the, the title on your, uh, your bulletins, it says, What You Need to Know About 2019. And that's not just me, Josiah, saying, hey, you guys are too dumb to understand this, and I need to tell you my sage wisdom. No, that's, this is Paul and God's timeless word saying, this is something that you need to know about 2019 as we enter into this new year. Right? This is something that you need to be pursuing. And, and I think Paul is going to help us with uh, equipping us to do this, to, to pursue after this goal, We'll get into what exactly that is, but pursuing after this goal with everything that we have and, and, and helping us to, to, to accomplish this well. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3. This is paul.wordpress.com, Philippians chapter 3, his blog, to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. We'll see what this goal is all about and what it really means for us as True North students, as high school students, moving forward, specifically as Christians in 2019. Let's see what it says in verse 12. So not that I have already obtained this. So he's talking to the church of Philippi, and he says, he talks about this goal, and he says, I have not already obtained this, right? I have not achieved this yet. This is something that I've been striving after, but I don't have it. it it's kind of elusive. It's, it's a hard thing to, to achieve. So I'm not, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have actually attained. So look back again with me at, at verse 12. We just read it, but we'll read it again. It says, not that I have already obtained this, right? Talking about this goal, not that I've already obtained this, not that I've got this in the bag, right? Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So again, Paul's referencing some sort of goal. He hasn't defined it yet, or he has defined it, but in our text, what we read, he doesn't mention it specifically word by word. This is what the goal is. But he says, there's this thing there's this goal, Christians, Church of Philippi, this is what you need to be pursuing, right? Because this is what I'm pursuing, and this is what I know Christ wants me to be pursuing, and so I want you to be pursuing that as well. So he talks about this, and, and well, what exactly? Like, obviously, the question is, what is this goal? What, what is he talking about? And so one of the things 
that you'll hear often from this pulpit is when you study the Bible, context is king. Always context, context, context. You want to know how to study the Bible? Context. All right, context. So Philippians chapter 3, in the same chapter, just a few verses before us, verses 1 through 11, it'll help set the stage, give us the context that Paul is talking about, is going to define for us what exactly this goal is, and I think that'll be helpful for us moving forward. So let's read Philippians chapter 3. It's the same chapter. You don't have to flip anywhere. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, really quickly. He says, finally, my brothers, right, he said all these things in, in Philippians chapter 1, 2, and 3, and he's kind of wrapping up, right? he's got this chapter and, and the final chapter, but he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, right? Look out for people who are, who are trying to deceive you, who are telling you false things about what it means to actually be right with God, right? Don't listen to them. They are sly. They are wicked. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, right? Though, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul talking. He's saying, hey, you know, being circumcised was a, was a Jewish law. It was, hey, if you really want to be right with God, if you really want to be following what Scripture says, you need to be circumcised. And they were saying, hey, we are the circumcision. Because circumcision in and of itself, right, is, is no longer the way or whatever, however you want to think about it. It's we, now we are the circumcision. If you are in Christ, that's what he's saying. It's equivalent. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of, of, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had. All of these things that I was able to accomplish, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8 said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Right? And that word can be translated literally as like dung or manure, just literal toilet stuff, right? <laughs> that I count them as rubbish, right? Throw it away, flush it down the toilet, right? In, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, nothing that I could do under my own power, under my own strength, not because of the works that I was able to accomplish, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the, the you know, the quote unquote law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, here's kind of where he explicitly states, here's the goal, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that was a lot. There's a lot of verses, verses 1 through 11. So this is, let me break it down for you this way. This is what Paul is saying for all of us today. He, he gives these two contrasting realities. He says, this is who I was. And this is who I am now, right? Am I allowed to walk off the stage? I'm going to do it. We're breaking, we're breaking rules. Okay, this is Paul. 
Right? This was him. He, he was following the, the law. He was doing all the things that he was able to do, right? Visual representation. He's over here. He's saying, if anyone has any right to brag about the things that they were able to accomplish, that the things, he, as a Pharisee, he was, he was zealous. He persecuted a church. He did all these things. He was a Jew of the Jews. He, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He came from a, a pure Jewish lineage, right? He had all of these things that he could brag about, but it, he counted it all as loss. So he says, this is who I was, right? I had every right to brag, but it's not something that I am bragging about. I count it, in, in fact, as loss. So this is who he was, and he compares it, right, to, to who he is now. So he stands over here, and in verses 8 through 11 of Philippians chapter 3, right, he says, this is what I have gained. So he says, I, I lost all of that over there. I consider it lost. All of these things that I was able to accomplish, all of these things that I could brag about, all the following the law, right, I, I was a zealot. I was doing everything the way that I was supposed to be doing, the way that they told me to do it, but it means nothing. It's lost. So now this is me. I'm different. I'm completely different. I'm doing different things. I'm pursuing different things because of Christ and because of what he has done in my life. So right in Philippians chapter 3, at least at the beginning, the first couple of verses, he, he spits off his spiritual rap sheet, right? He says, look, I've, I've done it all, right? You, you think you can tell me you're, quote-unquote, a good religious zealot person, right? A good follower of the law. No, I'm better. I've done it more. I, I, I've dedicated my entire life to, to doing all of those things, to pursuing after all those things. I have done it. You, you don't have any room. You don't have any foot to stand on here because I literally was the model. I was the poster boy. I was the Pillsbury Doughboy of, you know, following after the law. Like, that was me, right? I was on all of the, the marketing. I, I, that was it. That was me. He says, he lists all, but he, again, it says what? He counts it all as loss, right? What does that mean? What, what, counts it all as loss. Well, he's saying, he, he's considering everything that he was doing over here. Right, all of these things that he was pursuing, all of these things that he thought were correct, he says, all of this is lost. In, in, in this space that I was operating in for so long, in, in a big chunk of my life, I was being deceived. Right? I, I, I wasted all of this time, essentially. He's saying, I wasted all of this time that I could have been pursuing after Christ, that I could have been serving Christ, but now this is lost because I, I was doing things that were not of Christ. I was doing things that were not Correct. I was doing things that were not biblical. So he says, I count it all as, as loss. And then we'll see in verse 7, Paul makes a transition where he compares those things, again, to his previous pursuits, where we find himself you know, over there in his, in his current pursuits. He says, these are my gains, right? So he has all of these things that he categorizes as his loss, pursuing after the law, doing all the right things, being circumcised on the eighth day, following it, whatever. He says, all of that, forget about it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I did all of it. I did all the correct things. I, I can boast in all the great things that I was able to do, but it's a loss. But here he says in verses 8 through 11, here's what I have gained in its stead. Right? He contrasts his life and all that he did right, over here in comparison to all that he is because of the transforming work of Jesus Christ. See, when he's over here in this space, he says, look at me, look at what I am doing. Look at what I am able to accomplish, right? All of the things under my own power, this is me. This is my actions. Look at me. Over here, it's not about what he does. It's not about what he did technically, right? It's about who Christ is, right? Who Paul is in Christ. It's not what Paul is doing. It's what, it's what Christ did on behalf of Paul that put him in this space, this, this space that he's categorizing for us as gain, right? He said, it's not about what I did. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Christ did that puts me over here in this new category. And that's what Paul is saying for us. Okay, well, why did you tell us all that, Josiah? What does that have to do with, with this goal? Well, Paul, essentially, he gives us a summary 
a summary that's that's really dense. That's how Paul writes, right? It's just thick theology that you kind of kind of cut through. It gives us a summary of what it, what it means and what it looks like or what it should look like to truly be a follower of Christ, to truly be pursuing after Christ. And so he says, he says, hey, look, I was over here, I pursued these things, and now I'm over here and I gained. Well, what did he gain? He gained the knowledge of Christ. He gained the righteousness of Christ. He gained the fellowship of Christ, the power of Christ, and the glory of Christ. And that in and of itself is like a six-part sermon, right? That, I mean, the sermon series, that's just dense right there. What, what does that mean? Well, he gained all of those things. And essentially, right, that's just the narrative of what the gospel does in Paul's life. It transforms him, right? The knowledge of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, right? He, he, he was credited righteousness because of Christ, because his death on the cross, the fellowship of Christ, the power of Christ, and the glory of Christ. So in each one of those things, in verses 8 through 11, he says a couple things. He says, A, This is how you become righteous. This is how you become saved. This is how you go from this space over here where I was operating to this space over here. That's the first thing. Then he says, this is how the Christian life should look like, what you should be pursuing, right? And he he wraps all of these things up, right? All of those, the the knowledge of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, the the fellowship of Christ, the power of Christ, and the glory of Christ. He he wraps all of that dense material, that meaty theology in, in this box, slaps a bow on it and says, here you go. This, this is what the goal is. And this is what you should be pursuing. And, and that kind of launches us right into our text in, in verse 12, right? He says, all of those things make up the goal. We still haven't defined that yet. We're getting to it, but he, he says, this is the goal that each Christian should have for their life. And he makes a bold claim and, and states that the number one thing, the number one pursuit of Christians in, in their entire lifetime is to grow in their sanctification to grow in their knowledge of Christ, to grow in their fellowship with Christ, and to grow in their anticipation of the glory of Christ when he returns. That's what he says, right? And and, and again, dense theology. He says, that is the pursuit of Christians. That is what makes up, in essence, this goal that I want the Church of Philippi, that he wants you, True North High School students, to be pursuing after. So that, again, we're, we're left with the question, what is this elusive goal that Paul is talking about? Well, here it is. If you'll notice... We're doing something a little bit different with the notes, so I can pull this out really quickly. If you, if you open up the, the, the bulletin, there's this circle. I right? call it the circle of life. Right? So there's the circle, the circle of the Christian life, if you will. And right in the middle, this is where I want you to put the goal. Right? This is a visual mapping of what Paul is talking about. So there's a center goal, and all of these things around it stem from the goal in the center. Right, does that make sense? So this, the, here's the goal. Right? He says all of these things in this dense, very Pauline theology way. And he says the goal is to live a life, right? This in the center of that circle, live a life striving for Christ-like perfection. The goal of every Christian in this room from, from time past to time future to, to every, every moment in history, every moment that has happened and every moment that will happen, this is the number one pursuit of Christians is to live a life striving for Christ-like perfection. That is the goal. And let me just immediately address a potential you know, pushback on that or an objection, right? Perfection, you say, Josiah, I could never measure up to a standard. I could never, I'm not perfect and I never will be perfect. That's too much pressure. That's not fair. How can you tell me to, to, to pursue a goal of perfection when I never will reach it, right? That, doesn't that seem kind of counterproductive? Well, well yeah, well, yes, in, in some ways. Because right? that's what Paul says even in our text. He says, I, I have not obtained this. I'm not perfect at this. I'm not claiming to be perfect. 
And while I recognize that this is something that we will, I'll put it out here on the front end, you will never achieve this, right? You will never reach the finish line and be handed like the Timothy Award equivalent of being Christ-like perfect, right, in this life. But that does not excuse you from pursuing after this. In some ways, I would argue, it mandates that you pursue after this, right? It's not something that we're going to, next week, we're going to have it in the bag, right? We're going we're gonna to complete this, these 10 steps, right? The three easy things to be Christ-like perfect, right? That's not, that's not, that's not what Paul is saying, right? So that we can just put that to rest, right? It, it's not, you're, you're right, 100% correct. You will not achieve this in the fullest sense while you're on this earth because we're broken, flawed human beings, Right. We're not claiming that. That's, what not, that's not what Paul says. But he says, hey, you should still be pursuing this nonetheless. So what I am saying, so I'm not saying that you need to be perfect and that you need to constantly be scrutinizing everything that you do so that you walk into a room and you're just filled with anxiety because everyone thinks that you're not perfect when you're trying to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. Right? What, what I am saying is that your number one pursuit in 2019 and beyond should be to become more Christ-like. And we say that all the time right? as Christians. It's just like Christianese. I, I want to be more Christ-like. In 2019 than I was in 2018, I want to be more Christ-like. But, 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 but here's the news flash, everyone. I say this with love. Christ was and is perfect. So if you really want to be Christ-like, you would strive to be Christ-like perfect, to, to have Christ-like perfection, because that who Christ was and that who it, what Christ is, right? That, 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 that is something that we should pursue. If we really want to be Christ-like, that, who, that is who he is, right? Christ is perfect. He, he is the standard, the, the very standard, the definition, if you will, of perfection. If we want to be like our Savior, we have to strive after the, the model and the example that he set before us, no matter how unrealistic, at least from an earthly perspective, that may seem for us. Where we, we should strive after that. And I think scripture mandates us, right? And so and I think, again, it's not an excuse. It's a mandate to, to continue to pursue after this. And while all of us, including Maybe especially yours truly standing up here. Well, we're going to fall short, right? Your number one pursuit in 2019 and beyond should be, again, to become more Christ-like by striving after Christ-like perfection. And I have some more good news, right? We talk about, like, we're not going to measure up to this. How could we, right, right? It, we've got some good news. The superstar apostle, right? Godliest man of godliest men. The, the guy who was a church leader and probably the most famous church leader of all time, Paul, he says, not even I have this right. Not even I have perfected this, right? Look at, it says it in verse 12. It says, not that I have already obtained this, right? This goal of Christ-like perfection. I, ha I don't have it yet. It's not within my grasp or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Right, that's what, again, he, he was over here relying on his acts, relying on his deeds, his works, but now he's over here because of who Christ is, because of Christ's work. Nothing that he did, nothing that he could do, but he was transferred to a new reality because of who Christ is, right? Not because of, I made it on my own, but because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul says, you want to know how to make progress in this, you want to really pursue this goal of striving for Christ-like perfection, and you want to do well and see some sort of, of growth in this? You need to, to own it, he says in this verse. You, you need to own it, right? You need to make it your own. And that's the point number one in our outlines, right? Own the goal of striving for Christ-like perfection. Paul says, you really, you really, there's this, there's this goal, and I want you to, to take hold of it, I want you to grasp it, but in order to do that, the starting point is for you as an individual, you need to own it. Let's think about it this way. Let's say... 
my wife and I were, were, were out and about shopping, I guess. We're, we're on the streets, and some homeboy walks up to my wife and is trying to holler at her. Right? She, she, he, he's, he's hackling her, he's whistling at her, and he's saying, man, hey, baby, you look cute or whatever. I like your outfit. Your hair's nice. He's got flowers in his hands, and he's just ready to full-on try to steal my woman. Right? That, that's what's happening. First of all, I'm going to be like, dude, I get it. She's definitely fine. Like, I get it. She looks good. All right? It's not your fault. Like, I, I understand. But then I'm going to be like, bro, you better step off. Right? This is my wife. This is my relationship. You better back off. Right? You don't get to come in here. She, you look somewhere else. Right? She ain't the one. Right? She's not it. Right? She's not it for you, brother. I can tell you that with certainty. Right? Because she is my wife. This is my relationship. You don't get to come in here and mess with what is mine. You don't get to come in here with your sweet words and your chocolates and whatever else and try to talk to my wife in that way. No, that's not how this works, right? This is my wife, right? You don't get to come in here and mess with it. And so Paul, in so many certain terms, says, I don't know what y'all are doing over there, right, in terms of the church of Philippi, but as far as me, as far as I go, I'm going to strive with everything I have after this goal of Christ-like perfection, Right? He says, this is my goal. This is my pursuit. This is my relationship with Christ. Right? I press on, he says in our text, to make it my own. Right? This is something that I take full responsibility for. This is something that I take full ownership of. You're, you don't get to mess with it. Right? You, you can do your own thing over there. You can pursue your own relationship. That's fine. and That's great. I'll pray for you. You can do your own thing. But this is my goal. This is my relationship with Christ. He is my Savior. So I, I, this is mine. This is my goal. I own this. I press on to make it my own. I think so often we can get in this kind of rut where we, we get stuck in these, these small groups where we hide behind th- these vague generalities with that we, we mask in the word we, right? We always talk about, like, we sit in small groups on Wednesday. We're going to sit in small groups, and I bet some of you are going to be like, well, we need to be doing better. Like, that's the constant thing, right? We should be praying more, right? We should be reading our Bible more. We should not be doing these things. We, and so we just morph ourselves into this very ambiguous we so that we don't have to take ownership of what's going on in our personal life, right? Because then that would mean we'd have to step out in vulnerability and say that I need to be doing better, that I need to be praying more, that I, which is ironic because everyone in this room craves vulnerability, craves often craves authenticity, but really what it comes down to it, that we're afraid. So it's kind of a, a dichotomy in our society. But anyways, that's besides the point. So, so we sit in, the, in these small groups, and we always talk about we, 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 right? We need to be doing this. Well, what about you? What do you need to be doing? What should you be doing, right? And this isn't like a you know, condemnation kind of thing. I'm not saying like you're horrible people. I'm just, when you think about yourself for a second, that's Paul's starting point. He says, I strive to make it my own. Right? You need to take ownership of what is yours. Right? Forget about what Susie's doing over here. Right? Forget about little Johnny didn't pray last week, and so you're concerned about him and his spiritual health. Forget about it. What, what about you? What have you been doing? What have you been doing to, to grow in your relationship, to grow in your sanctification? What has been going on in your heart and your life? Right? Forget about even True North. Right? Pastor Rod can, can sweat over that. What, what are you guys doing to better True North, to better this ministry? Right? What are you doing as the individual? Right? You, you want to grow aggressively in Christ-like perfection, right? forget for a second, again, what everyone else is doing and focus on yourself. Focus on the goal. Focus on your walk with the Lord and what's going on with you. 
Right? The goal, again, would be striving for Christ-like perfection through sanctification. That's what Paul says. Sanctification is the means by which we can grow. We can come from this point to growing t- closer to this goal of Christ-like perfection through our sanctification. And here he says, right, Paul doesn't just do things and say things for you know, the kicks and giggles. Right? He, he says, here's my motivation. As a follower of Christ, as a believer of Christ, being transferred from this reality to this reality because of the power of Christ, here's my motivation to, to strive after this goal and to make it my own and, and not worry about necessarily what, what, you, what you're up to or what's going on in your life. I, I, he was concerned, obviously. That's why he's writing this letter. But he's saying, above all, I'm going to worry about myself first because this is my relationship and I need to worry about my own actions before I worry about what's going on over there. So Paul says, not that I have already obtained this in our text, right, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I think you guys are, you think you guys are missing it, right? Christ Jesus has made me his own. That is his motivation, right? The reason I want to strive after this so hard, the reason that I want to make this my own, that I want to claim this, that I want to pursue with everything that I have and not worry about Susie or Johnny or what everyone else is doing. I want to worry about what I'm doing is because Christ Jesus made me, Paul, made me, Josiah Caleb, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he made, he made me a, a, a son or a daughter of grace and to be able to enter into a relationship with God eternally because of Christ's work on the cross, right? Because he made me his own, that's my motivation to return, quote unquote, the favor and to pursue after this goal of becoming more Christ-like, right? That's what he says. That's an amazing reality. That's, a, that's just a, a passing comment that he says, but that is so, there's so much truth behind that. Christ Jesus has made me Paul says in other parts of scripture that he is the chief of sinners, right? He knows what it means to be a sinner, to fall short. He knows what it means to have done things that he regrets, right? But he says, he has made me, regardless of my past, regardless of what I've done, regardless of what I may do, that's not an excuse to just go wild and rampant with your sin, but he says, regardless of whatever, whatever, he has made me his own. I am in Christ. And so he roots his motivation and his determination in that amazing truth. And that's his starting point. He says, this is my thing. Right? You don't get to come up in here and mess with my relationship. Right? You don't get to mess with what's mine. That's not how this works. Right? Because Christ has made me his own. So how do you do this? How do you accomplish this? Right? Well, look, look with me at verses 13 through 14. It says, brothers, which ladies are like, oh, what about me? This is inclusive. Right? This is everyone. Brothers, the whole church. Right? Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind... In straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thankfully, Paul is an incredibly practical man, right? He doesn't just leave us hanging and say, strive for Christ-like perfection, good luck, right? He gives us some practical steps. It's a practical man. So he says, step one, which is what we've been talking about, we need to own the goal. Right? We need to make sure that this is something that we are doing in our own life, that this is something that we take seriously, that we say, I am going to do this personally for Josiah Caleb Smith. Right? That's me. I need to do this on my own. He says, own the goal. And then step two, he says, this is the action step. He says, you need to act on the goal. That's point number two in your outlines, if you want to think about it that way. Act on the goal of striving for Christ-like perfection. When I was growing up, my mom... She used to tell me to clean my room a lot, which I know is profound. My mom, I love my mom. My mom is a wonderful woman. She gave me more than I ever deserved. But whenever she would ask me to, to clean my room, at least from my perspective, it always just used to seem 
to be at the most inconvenient time possible. Like the moms just have like a radar for that, right? It's just like, there's just so much time that I would be like, yeah, like I'll, I'll clean my room. I'm not doing anything. And then there's like this tiny, tiny little sliver, a sliver of time right here where I'm like, I, I don't really want to clean my room. And that's when she capitalizes on, hey, you need to clean, clean your room. At least that's what it seems to me. That's, that's just my sin talking right there. But my mom, or my mom asks me all the time, which I'm sure you guys, your mom or your dad, whoever it is, right? They say, hey, you need to clean your room. And so I, I just have memories of, uh, this happened several times, unfortunately, but I just have memories of me sitting on the couch, being lazy, right? Just being a waste of oxygen, but sitting on the couch, watching TV, and I would flip on, well, this was what happened. I would flip on the TV and it'd be like instantaneously, as soon as the TV came on, right? The, the words, like the volume hasn't even caught up with the picture yet. Like it's that quick. My mom's like, Josiah, like yelling from upstairs. And I'm like, oh my. I just sat down, like that kind of thing. And so I'm like, yes. And she's like, can you clean your room? And what do I say? Well, I will in a second, which I have, means I have no intention of, of doing what she just asked me. So, so we play this back and forth game where she's like half an hour later, she's like, Josiah. And again, I'm like, yes. And we just kind of, she yells at me and I'm like, I'll do it. I'll do it. And eventually, you guys know what's coming next. She, she pulls out the full name. She pulls out Josiah Caleb Smith, right, with that, that stern, like, you just scared you to the depths of your bones, right? You're just, you know, my mom says, Josiah Caleb Smith, and I shoot up out of that couch, and I know, right? She doesn't even need to finish. That's it. So I know, and I, and I eventually go, and I, and I clean my room, right? This is something that happens often, which, by the way, let's be better to our moms, right? <laughs> Come on. We don't need to be doing this, right? I don't Be better than me, right? I am chief of sinners in terms of not cleaning my room when my mom asked me to do it. Be better than me, right? So the, the point is, right, my mom asked me to do something and fully, and I, and I think rightfully, expected me to do it right then and there, right? She, she didn't give me some sort of qualifications or some sort of escape clause and say, well, unless... You're watching TV, which would be a horrible escape clause, right? Unless you're watching TV, you don't need to be, you don't, you don't need to do what I ask you. She's not to wait. She expects me to do it right then, not to wait, not to put it off, not to do it when I felt like it, right? She gives me a command. She says, do something, and she wants me to act on it right then and right there, right? And, so, and I think Paul illustrates this, right? Not necessarily his mom telling him to clean his room, but Paul illustrates this and sets an example for us to follow as we pursue this goal. Right, which really is more of a command of Scripture, that this goal, which is a command I think we should all obey and follow after, to strive after Christ-like perfection. And he gives us some, some practical means of, of acting on this goal and of striving for Christ-like perfection in verse 13. Let's see what he says. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Whenever the, the, the new year rolls around, there, there's two type of people that kind of emerge from the woodwork. There's those who do the, like the really, 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 really long Instagram year-end review things where the, the, the thing at the top is so tiny that you're sweating because you're, you're like, am I ever going to make it through all of these pictures? I have, like a, I have like a tick where I have to. That, that's not good, right? I have to scroll. Like I don't even like seeing the... The, the stories at the top of my Instagram page, I have to touch them, and I, I don't even look at them. I'm just, like, tapping through them. But So, so there's these year-end reviews. Right? There's tons of pictures. People are like, oh, look at all these great things. Like, I, I was able to travel here, and, and I was able to, to make new friends and make new memories, and people are excited. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I'm not bashing people. People do that. I'm not much of an Instagram guy, but so they do that. There's that, there's that type of person, right? And then there's the other person that's like, man, 2018 was hot garbage, right? It's just, they're just like... 
2018 was the worst year ever. I, I set out to do all of these things, and I didn't accomplish anything. My life is terrible. My life is worse than yours. I hate all these people who do these nice year-end review things on Instagram because I don't have anything to post about. So all I'm going to post about is like this black picture with white font that says 2018 was hot garbage, right? And, and there's this, there's the two type of that may be an extreme, right? But the, there's these, you know, these differing realities, right? And so there, you know, there's. You guys, which will post like, again, like, oh man, I, I had these midnight Harbor House runs and they were fun and, you know, we were taking the coffee pictures and so I'm going to put all these on the year in reviews and, they, you know, there's, but there's a little, there's, I think a lot of people in some way, even the people who are really excited about their previous year that, that they think about some of the things perhaps at the beginning of the year when they made goals and they set out things that they wanted to accomplish that they didn't achieve and, and they become disappointed right, at themselves, right? They, they didn't follow through with, they, they set a goal of reading all the way through the Bible with the DVR and they didn't, they didn't do it, right? They didn't finish it. They, they started out strong or, or maybe they didn't start strong and then eventually at some point they, they were doing it consistently, but, but nonetheless, they, they didn't finish it. Right? And so they're, they're frustrated, they're kicking themselves or, or they didn't pray nearly as much as they wanted to. But they, they set out at the beginning of 2018 and says, this year I'm going to be marked as a man or a woman of prayer. And then they get to the end of the year and they're like, man, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't, I didn't follow through with that. Or, or they didn't grow in their faith as they had hoped. Right? There's, so there's these two differing realities. And there's nothing really wrong with either. Right? There's nothing really wrong celebrating the high points and, and perhaps looking back at the low points to see what you can, can, can take from them. Right? There's, there's wisdom in, in evaluating and celebrating what has been done in the past in order to, to improve on it in the future, right? We do that all the time at, at Compass and in True North. The True North staff, we sit down and we say, how can we be doing better? How can we further glorify the Lord in, in our events, and our preaching, and the way that we structure things? We, we scrutinize everything because we want to make sure that we're doing it to the best of our ability. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think Paul gives us another angle to look at and to consider when it comes to evaluating progress in the Christian life. Progress specifically in this goal of pursuing Christ-like perfection. Here's what he says. He tells us, one thing that I do, Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So he says, those virtuous deeds over here, these things that I was able to accomplish, these things that I can brag about, all of these, you know, whatever, these things that I considered good, these things that my fellow Pharisees and, the, you know, the guys high-fiving that they were able to accomplish, forget about all of these things. I'm forgetting about all of that, and I'm worried about what's, what's, what's ahead, right? I'm worried about what's coming in the future because Christ, Christ has given me a reason to live for him, and I'm going to do everything that I can, and that's forward. Forget about everything that's, that's gone behind me, right? Even, even the good things, quote-unquote. He says, forget about those virtuous deeds. Forget about those good things. I'm going to worry strictly about what Christ has for me right now, what Christ has for me in the future. I'm going to strive for, the, for those things, right? Or he says, th those mistakes, right? You look back at 2018, and, and it's plagued with, with mistakes. It's plagued with things that you wish that you had not done. It's, it's plagued with with you know, regret or whatever it may be. He says, forget about those things. Forget about them. There's a goal. There's a, there's a savior that is calling you to keep moving forward, that is calling you to keep pressing on, right? And he says, forget about them. And here's not what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand me when I say this, right? I'm not saying to neglect them. I'm not saying to just ignore them per se, right? I'm not saying be reckless and haphazard and, and, and whatever, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying don't dwell on the things that have already happened, at least in the sense of it, it's hurtful and, and harmful and it keeps you in this sludge of, of the past, 
right? You cannot change the outcome of what has already happened in history. You cannot, as much as we would like to. Things that have happened, they've happened, and they're set in stone, right? Forget about them, right? Good or bad, right? Focus on what you, you can change in 2019. Focus on what you can do, right? If you anchor yourself to the past, if you tether yourself to what has been in your life behind you, you will never move forward. You will never see progress in your Christian life. You will never see progress in your faith, right? So he says, forget about it. Instead, right, he says in verses 13 and 14, strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, get up off the couch, Josiah. Get up off the couch, turn off the TV, turn off Netflix, and act on this goal. Take ownership of the goal and act on the goal to strive for Christ-like perfection. He uses that word strain, right? And that, that's, a, that's an intense word, right? He says, strain forward. He says, it's going to be a battle. He says, grit your teeth, right? He says, press on, right? Dig in your heels. Keep moving forward. There's going to be things in this life, oppositions that come your way. It says, the Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking new he may devour, right? He's creeping at every corner trying to knock you off this goal, trying to distract you, trying to take you away from the things that God has for you. And that, he says, forget about it, strain forward, fight, grit your teeth, dig your heels in, and and resolve to move forward, right? Forgetting what's behind and, and straining towards what is ahead. So he says, you, you want to make progress, in the goal of, of Christ-like perfection, well, here's how you do it, right? So, some practical things here, but none of these things I'm going to say are super mind-blowing or revolutionary, right? This is not, this is things that you've heard before, things that you're going to hear today, and things that you're going to hear again in the future because we all need to hear them multiple times. We need to hear them over and over. We need to be reminded. It's good for us to be reminded. So he says, you want to have progress in your Christian life. You want to have progress in, in pursuing this goal of Christ-like perfection. Here's how you do it. The first thing you need, you need, you need, you need. This is the starting point. You need to have a steady diet of God's word. You cannot, cannot sit in, in, on one end of the spectrum and say, Josiah, I really, really want to grow closer to God, but I actually, I have no desire to read the Bible, right? That those, thing, those two things do not exist. That is an oxymoron, right? You cannot have one without the other. That's like, I don't, I don't know what that's like. It's frustrating. You didn't even think about it, right? You, you cannot say, I want to grow, but I'm not, you're not actually willing to grow because you don't read the Bible. That's the first thing we, that we all need, right? We, need, we all need more. Even if you were good at reading last year, you need to be reading more, always, constantly, striving, striving forward, trying to grow in this. Have a steady diet of God's Word, right? That's where we find our truth. That's where we find our guidance, our wisdom, our direction. It's, it's all rooted in the authority of Scripture, and you cannot bypass that. You cannot bypass that and grow in the Christian life. That's the first thing. Secondly, and John talked about this last week at length, but you need to bolster your prayer life. So you start with reading your Bible, having a steady diet of that, but you also need to bolster your prayer life. Think about this. John posed this question, what, what did not happen? You think about your failures last, last you know, in 2018 or, or things that you're disappointed in yourself. What did God not do in 2018 because you did not ask him, that you did not go to him in prayer? The Bible says that if you were in God's will, if you're praying for things that are aligned with God's will, that he will grant them to you, that he wants to give them to you, and that he will freely give them to you, right? Bolster your prayer life. That's second. Third, we need to press into the community that we all have here at Compass Bible Church. And maybe that looks like a true north for you guys, but whatever capacity that that is, press into the community that you have at Compass Bible Church, right? And God instituted, he ordained, and he established this church, Right, the, the universal church and this local church here in Aliso Viejo, California, for your betterment, for your good, for your growth. You cannot sidestep Compass Bible Church and say, okay, 
I, I want to grow, right? You need to be involved and to be plugged in. I'm not saying that Compass is the only place that you can do that, but this is where you're at. This is where God has you. So plug in, press into this community because God will use this community to help you grow, to help you make strides in this goal of, of Christ-like perfections. That's third. Fourth, you need to be serving. There's, there's all kinds of opportunities here in True North and, and in, in the broader church of Compass Bible Church to, to be serving. And, and that's what we all should be doing, right? But if you, if you boil all of these things down, right, everything that I've just said, right? Reading your Bible, boasting your prayer life, pressing into the community and serving, they all come down to this one thing. If you want to make progress in this goal of striving after Christ-like perfection, you need to be obedient to the commands of Scripture, whatever they might be. Right? We, we, can't, we don't have time to cover all of them right, in this sermon, but that's what it is. You need, to, you need to obey the commands of Scripture. And that's how Paul says, that's how you act on this goal. You need to own it. You need to understand it. You need to take, you need to take hold of it for your personal life, and you act on it by be, being obedient to the commands of Scripture. But you say, Josiah, it's not as, as easy as you're making it seem. Well, I, again, I, I never said that it was going to be easy. In fact, Paul says in this text, he strongly implies that it will not be easy. Again, he uses that word strain, right, which is a, an athletic term. Right? It's like you're running a marathon. You're in that 20th mile, and your body is screaming at you, what in the world are you doing, brother? Like, this is, not what you're, this is not how I was designed. I should not be exerting this much energy. I should not be sweating this much. But you need to keep going. He says, Paul says, hey, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be difficult, but you need to keep pressing on, right? If you're a mature believer, you will continue to do this, and you will continue to strive after this. I want to be respectful of your time, and so we're running out of time, but the, the last goal here, this, which is, goes in line with the rest, is, is maintain this goal. So you want to own the goal, you want to act on the goal, and you want to continue to act on the goal, right? You want to maintain it. Right, that's what this whole sermon is about. Right? We, we want to grow aggressively in our sanctification. I want you to grow aggressively in your sanctification by obeying the commands of Scripture, by seeing this goal that Paul has set before us, that, that really Christ has set before us, to grow more closer to, to his likeness. Right? We want to be Christ-like? This is it. Grow in Christ-like perfection. Strive after that and keep striving after it, no matter what. No matter what comes your way, no matter... Anything, right? Any situation, any circumstance, any trial, this is it. He says, he says, own the goal. He says, act on the goal. Be moved to action. Don't sit stalemate in your chair. You got to do something. Act on it. You got to keep doing it. You want to grow, you got to keep doing it. It's going to be over and over and over again, regardless of, of how difficult it may be, regardless of, of what may happen. You will see growth and you will see fruit as a result of this if you continue to maintain this goal of striving for Christ like perfection. Let's pray.